Hi there, it's Caroline Foran from Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please do follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. The sooner we all get on board with these measures, the sooner we will be all together again. While you're staying at home, here's a recommendation for another great podcast for you to listen to. I think we need a bit of comic relief more than ever, so why not try the Two Johnnies podcast, available on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Mirror Football Podcast in association with Labrooks. As you can tell, Aaron Flanagan is not here this week. He's doing his best to call Runnings Audition. I'm Liam Prendival. I'm joined by Alex Richards and Ibrahim Mustafa. We're going to look back on a frantic deadline day, the January transfer window, the midweek action, and then look ahead to the Premier League games upcoming this weekend. So we'll start with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Arsenal got their man. Is he what they needed? Did they need a little bit more? Uh... Certainly, Arsenal needed a little bit more. I mean, Aubameyang is going to be a fantastic signing for them, I believe. He's going to add to that attacking threat. Having lost Sanchez, it's a great addition if you are going to lose a player of the quality of Sanchez. And But the problem is Arsenal are not really struggling for goals. Generally, you don't have to worry about Arsenal when it comes to going forward. It's at the back. That's the problem. And not strengthening that defence, not looking at the goalkeeper and not looking at sort of a defensive midfielder position. I think that's where Arsenal are going to continue to come unstuck this season. I mean, they went in for Johnny Evans. We believe they made a late approach to West Brom around £12 million and that was never really going to be enough to get him at this stage, even though he can go for a very nominal fee in the summer. Yeah, it's a strange one now. I mean, Evans is a good defender and you know, Arsenal aren't the only team that were looking at him. Manchester City were also linked before they signed Amaric Laporte. Um, as you say, Arsenal, they do need to strengthen in those areas, but are, are they really full of goals? I mean, Alexander Lacazette's now got, what, one in ten. Aubameyang is definitely an, an upgrade on him. Um, for me, Lacazette's place is really under threat now because I, I think they're both very similar strikers. I don't really see how they can play together unless the whole system of the side gets changed um, and if you are going to play those two together I'm not really sure how you fit Henrik Mkhitaryan and Meza Ozil both in that side um, Olivier Giroud obviously was the plan B off the bench and he's gone to Chelsea um, they need Aubameyang to hit the ground running to have any chance of the top four um, there's no reason why he can't do that he's a goal scorer pure and simple He's got goals consistently for Borussia Dortmund and if Arsenal create chances, then he will get goals for them. But I think Arsene Wenger really, this transfer window is a bit of a missed opportunity. They do need to strengthen in other areas as they have done for you know, the last 12, 18 months, perhaps even longer. Um, it's an interesting time there with the behind-the-scenes appointments now. seems that the transfer recruitment is gradually going out of Arsene Wenger's hands um, Aubameyang really isn't the template of a typical Arsene Wenger signing you know 28 years old not a lot of sell on value um, yeah I think Arsenal fans they can be very happy with Aubameyang they can be happy with Mkhitaryan um, but yeah I, I don't see them finishing in the top four even with his signing and I think the problems that were there before the window remain so obviously it was a decent end to the window, wasn't it, for Arsenal? When obviously they brought in Aubameyang, Giroud went, there's the news of Mesut Ozil's contract. But then, on-field problems, 24 hours earlier they were getting beat at Swansea in a real blow to the top four hopes. They got Everton this weekend, they really do need a performance, and a goal from Aubameyang won't go amiss. 
Um, against Swansea, Arsenal were abysmal. I mean, their waveform has been shocking this season, and they looked about as good as, well, you know, as bad as Swansea have been all season. That's how bad Arsenal looked, even worse. They Arsenal... didn't look bothered. That, yeah. That's the thing that got me. They, they took the lead, but they hadn't played well up to that point. Swansea were very much a better team, and, and when Arsenal went ahead, you kind of thought maybe this will kick them into gear, but just nothing mm. happened. Swansea just kind of immediately replied and then the game just carried on from there and Swansea got a deserved win I mean ultimately you can say that about a lot of Arsenal's games away from home this season you look at the Watford game you look at the Bournemouth game more recently exactly the same sort of thing take the lead without playing well and then just assume that the game's over and get unst- get caught out and get unstuck and that's been the, the, the story away from home conversely at the Emirates things have been very different I mean Arsenal have only dropped points this season at home against well teams above them essentially um, they've lost that game against Manchester United when, well, you know, we've discussed it at length before, but, you know, they created numerous chances and maybe perhaps could have got something out of that game had they not been so inept in the first 10 minutes to go 2-0 down. Against Liverpool, they fought back from 2-0 down to, you know, ultimately come away with a point there. And then against Chelsea, again, went 1-0 up, went 2-1 down and fought back for a draw. But those are the only points that Arsenal have dropped at home this season and they're pretty formidable and... If you look at Everton's record against Arsenal, not great. Um, 22 years since Everton last won at Arsenal, and that was at Highbury, two goals from Graham Stewart and Andre Kinchelskis. And that's for two teams that. that play each other every season, that's actually quite poor for Everton. And you'd have to think that maybe Arsenal could sort of turn their form around and get a much-needed win. I mean, they do need a win. Uh, just looking at the latest odds, Aubameyang, we expect him to probably start, especially after the, the defeat to Swansea. He's 14-5 to five to score the first goal, 5-6 to any time goal scorer. And if you fancy him to get a hat-trick on his debut, he's 14-1. to one. So one player that went out of Arsenal was Olivier Giroud, as we mentioned. He's gone to Chelsea as part of the striker merry-go-round, if you like, which saw Batshuayi go to Dortmund. Do we think this is a good deal for Chelsea and is it a bad deal for Arsenal? I think it's a very good deal for Chelsea in that he's a consistent goal scorer in the Premier League. You know, I don't think he's an elite striker by any stretch of the imagination. But I think for, for what they need, um, somebody basically who can take some of the load off Alvaro Morata, someone who Antonio Conte can trust, um, a focal point to their attack, someone even Hazard, Pedro, William can play off. I think he's a very shrewd acquisition. Um, he's 31, so you know he kind of goes against their mo when it comes to signings because they've been trying to look younger. Um, but he's a lot cheaper than Edin Dzeko would have been, and he's not all that different a player to Dzeko, and not really that much worse than Dzeko. Um, I think you see Giroud in that in that lineup when Morata's not available and you expect he will score goals and they will create chances for him they like to get crosses in the box from wide and from deep areas we've seen Azpilicueta do it a number of times this season I think it's the sort of service Giroud can thrive off perhaps more so than he ever got the chance to at Arsenal and the thing about Giroud I mean he's um, perhaps not a better all-round player than Morata but he could be better for Chelsea for what they need right now as you say with the style of football that they're trying to play trying to get wide trying to get crosses into the box Giroud as he has proven at Arsenal in in patches I mean that's got to be one of the criticisms of him if you know if they are to be criticisms of him it is that he does go through patches where he will go on runs of scoring goals and then he will just 
flounder and just not look like the player that he looked like three weeks previous. I think if Chelsea are looking at, at winning a trophy this season, and then Antonio Conte will be looking at the Champions League. Um, and I think for them to do that, they need Alvaro Morata on top of his game in those crunch matches. You know, they've got a really tough tie against Barcelona, let's not kid ourselves. So they could very easily be out at the second round stage. I think Morata is more made for those big European nights because he's got that pace and he can run in behind and he stretches teams. Whereas Giroud will then play those Premier League games and allow Morata a rest and whatnot. That Giroud, for the run in as they go for a top four spot, I think he's very astute. I think Antonio Conte has looked at that, knows he can get him perhaps six to eight goals between now and the end of the season, and that it frees up Morata for the Champions League. Whether that works, you know, they have to get past Barcelona. If they get past Barcelona, you're looking at Chelsea and thinking they're contenders. And one last thing on Giroud, I'd say perhaps we are sort of talking as him, about him as that focal point up front, as someone to get on the end of things. I mean, his link-up play is quite understated, and he's actually, if you look at a lot of the goals he's involved in at Arsenal, he well, he was at Arsenal. He ten he had that tendency to sort of drop off and get involved in the play. So with players like Fabregas and Hazard and William. They might thrive with someone like that who can just come short, pick up the ball and then just lay it off for them to do their thing. Of course, there were players who didn't get a move on deadline day. The biggest is Riyad Mahrez. He didn't get his move in the summer, didn't get his move in January. He's still at Leicester against his wishes. What do they do with him now? You know, We believe that they wanted £95 million, a package of £95 million, whether that be a player included. But he obviously doesn't want to be at Leicester. He wanted the opportunity to go to City. Is it going to be easy for him to get back into the Leicester fold? Are the, is his teammates going to accept him? I think his teammates accept him simply because he's such a good player. And he strengthens that side when he plays. Claude Puel will accept him back. He's already said he will. Uh, you can't blame Mares for wanting to move to a club where he can challenge for trophies and play on a bigger stage in the Champions League on a regular basis. Um, I think part of the issue here is that if Manchester City have spent 30 days wanting him, then why didn't they go earlier? You can only assume that they've only gone for him because Leroy Sainé's picked up an injury. So that happened on Sunday, and then you wait till deadline day to make four bids. It's going to upset upset the player. It's going to upset the selling club. You can understand why Leicester have been priced so high what they've wanted, and City have tried to lowball them, and it's just not worked. It's just you know caused havoc pretty much. And Mares now his future. I think Leicester get four more months out of him and then I think in the summer he goes for a decent price. I think that's the only way for them to basically move forwards. I think it's got to be that promise of, OK, Riyadh, we go from now to the end of the season, in the summer, we evaluate again, you'll get your move if this price is met. And he's going to have to play for that move now, I think. He can't afford to sort of sulk and throw in the towel. He really is going to have to... I think he would have to put in the effort now between now and the end of the season because, as you said, if Man City came in for him only as a reactionary thing, that means he wasn't on their list. He wasn't; They didn't plan to sign him and potentially, if none of the clubs have come in for him as of yet, perhaps he's not so highly sought after as he'd like to believe he is. So he's going to have to put in the effort between now and the end of the season if he wants to secure that move away from Leicester. I mean, he wouldn't have ever been on City's radar or wish list, if you like, if they got Alexis Sanchez. Well, no. And you look last summer as well, Roma were the team that were most linked with him. You know, where were, where were the so-called bigger clubs then? They just haven't really come calling. Mentioning Sanchez there, uh, obviously he went to United, that was last week, it seems a long time ago. 
Do we think that is the deal of the transfer window? Initially, on paper, yes, you'd have to say so. However, I mean, I'm not to, not to say that he was at fault last night, but against Tottenham, he looked out of sorts, and Manchester United looked out of sorts, and I mean, it will come together. I think that's, more, that that's more of a Manchester United issue rather than a fitting him into their side issue. I think mm. that, that's but if you get a player like that in, you surely you'd expect him to, you know hit the ground running a guy with Premier League experience who's been brilliant for the last two or three years you'd expect him to be able to have the quality to be able to fit into that side and make an impact I think eventually he will I think I think he's, a, he's an outstanding signing on a free transfer effectively mm. you know forget what they're paying wages wise forget all that Jose Mourinho wants somebody who is basically top quality Alexis Sanchez is top quality he's the sort of player that usually is not available in January let alone available at that sort of deal um, so Mourinho you know he's basically got rid of a squad player that he didn't particularly rate and who kept falling in and out of favour for a player who's going to be an undisputed number one choice um, I think it bodes well that he can get him in now work with him for a few months then Sanchez has a summer off for the first time in about five years given that Chile aren't at the World Cup and then they go again for next season when they have to make a title push there's no two ways about that Mourinho will hope that he can get one or two other undisputed first-choice players through the door um, in the summer and then go at Manchester City next season. Um, I think it is a very good deal. I think there are some other very good deals out there. You know, Everton spent £20 million on Theo Walcott. I think whatever you say about how things ended at the end of his Arsenal reign, or tenure, he wasn't really the king of Arsenal, was he? Um, I don't think that that's a bad signing at all. He scored twice last night. He will get goals for Everton. He's something they didn't have pace, a direct eye for them. Someone who can carry the ball from deep and push forwards. Someone who will get goals from wide. You know, he's given them something that they are lacking. Twenty moons, a fair price and a very good deal. There's some positives from the transfer window. There are a lot of negatives, especially at the bottom of the table, and teams who didn't get deals done. Newcastle, I mean, there was the banner last night at the game, you know, fans are sort of pleading with each other to stick stick together, you know. The Mike Ashley era's really it's going on forever and ever. The takeover didn't go through. And they got a couple of loan signings in. Islam Slimani, a player who couldn't get a game for Leicester. Kennedy couldn't get near the Chelsea team. Are they really going to be the players that keep Newcastle up? Slimani's a player that when he came from Sporting Lisbon you know, there are big things expected of him, but he just hasn't done it in the Premier League. Um, if Rafa Benitez can get the player that scored a lot of goals in Portugal playing to his potential, then he at last has a goal threat because Hosselu hasn't done it, Dwight Gale hasn't really done it this season. Um, Kennedy played very well in his debut last night, and the fans seem to really take to him. But if we are being honest, uh, Rafa Benitez hasn't got anywhere near what he wanted, hasn't got anywhere near what he felt he needed, and they are very much in a relegation scrap. And you have to question that, you know, a month from now, if they lose the next couple of games, does Rafa Benitez just walk away from the club? You'd hope not, because he is, for me, their biggest their biggest shot at survival, having him as their manager, his tactical acumen. But he's got to be bitterly frustrated with what's gone on up there. I mean, yeah, it's easy to kick Newcastle when they're down, but you kind of wonder why there doesn't seem to be any sort of succession plan or any sort of planning put in place at that club I mean Mike Ashley yes he does want to sell but if he's not going to sell up what is he doing there what is going on you know is he actually going to 
help invest money into that team, into that side, placate the, man- placate the manager and help him keep the club in the Premier League. It just doesn't seem to be happening, it's does it? It's all been so. a bit of a farce, hasn't it? I mean, you've got one side saying X, the opposite side saying Y. You know, the whole thing is, has just been a complete mess. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's the fans that you feel sorry for and it's Rafa Benitez that you feel sorry for. I mean, there's a lot of clubs obviously broken their record transfers in January if others did it in the summer. Newcastle's is still Michael Owen, which is over a decade ago now. Pre- is that a pre-Ashley era? Are we talking there? I think it maybe. Maybe I'm not sure. So, so he's, you know, transfer records from before predates him. Mm. Just given how football has gone with the TV money and whatnot, it's just utterly unfathomable that that is the case. Another team at the bottom who didn't get, well, didn't get the. Hi there, it's Caroline Foran from Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please do follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. The sooner we all get on board with these measures, the sooner we will be all together again. While you're staying at home, here's a recommendation for another great podcast for you to listen to. I think we need a bit of comic relief more than ever, so why not try the Two Johnnies podcast, available on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Business done that they needed to get done was West Ham. Um, David Moyes, he needed some players in, he needed some quality. He got Jao Mario in from Inter. He he looked a decent signing when he played the other night. I think he'll do okay there, but they needed a striker. They've got a lot of injuries up front. Jordan Hugel from Preston. Is he really going to score the goals to fire them to safety? It's a bit of a punt, isn't it? I think you know, he's had he's had two two decent seasons at, at Preston. Um, he's a big lad. He's strong. He gives a focal point. He's someone that when Andy Carroll is is absent, as Andy Carroll often is due to injury, um, he, that gives them that physical presence. But you know, is he sharp enough in the penalty area to grab goals? Is he gonna is he gonna get five to ten goals for them between now and the end of the season? Big question marks over that, and that could very much be the difference in a packed Premier League relegation scene. The difference between staying up. Or finishing 18th, 19th, or even 20th. I mean, you mentioned a packed relegation scene. The latest odds, I mean, West Ham are 9 to 1 to go down, which I find that baffling. It's huge odds. I'm not sure how anyone in that bottom half can be such odds. Yeah, it's, mm. it's crazy. I mean, I mean, there's a bottom eight there, can sit, they can all easily go down. Yeah. Huddersfield are the favourites to go down now. They've had a really bad run of form, obviously, got beat by Liverpool. They're 8 to 15 to go. Swansea 10 to 11, they've picked up under Carlos Carvajal. Swansea have really improved. Really, really, I didn't really give them much hope, but he's one defeat in eight since he's took charge. Back-to-back wins over Liverpool and Arsenal in the league. You can't knock the job he's doing there at the moment. And you've got West Brom and Brighton and Newcastle at the moment, 12-5. to I think there's a bit of value there, especially if the current current form continues. You know, If they don't pick up in recent weeks, and like you say, the unsettled continues within the Benitez squad, within the stands, and we've seen it before with Newcastle where they slide and slide and... By the end of it, it's too late. They can't get out of it. It's it's almost complete opposite of what happened last time, isn't it? You know, when when Rafa came in, he gave last a bounce, time, didn't he? There was a bounce, yeah. and the only thing that kept kept them below the line was that I think it was was it Sunderland at the time yeah. had a similar bounce, and mm. every time Newcastle won, Sunderland won, and they just managed to keep above them slightly. Mm. And unless Newcastle get that bounce now, as you say, they'd look like sliding. Yeah, I believe uh, they failed to beat Villa, who were dead and buried at the time, in a really crunch relegation six-pointer. And I think ultimately at the end of the season, it was those points that sort of them down. But apart from that, they were, like you say, the bounce 
that came from Benitez really helped them at the time, but not enough. The thing I always think with teams that are in a relegation battle is can they score goals? Have they got a goal scorer that you know can get them that that tight game can just nick three points? You know, Newcastle struggling. They've got 23 goals, I think, in, in their 25 games so far this season. I think the top scorer has got four. Unless Slomani does the business between now and the end of the campaign, where are those goals going to come from? Can you see them scoring more than one a game? They missed a lot of chances against Burnley last night. So the creating chances isn't the problem. It is finding the, the net. Ball in the back of the net, yeah. You know, Hossel, who missed a penalty, he missed a good one-on-one. I think gradually, if Slomani hits it off, then we'll see less and less of Hosselu. Um, they don't have a scorer Swansea have found a scorer Jordan Ayew he's doing really well lately and now they've spent big to get his brother back from West Ham so I think Swansea now you're very much looking upwards and they've also got Tammy Abraham and Wilfred Boney so they do have goal scorers West Brom Daniel Sturridge if they can get him right he's an outstanding footballer we all know his fitness issues but he does know where the net is Jay Rodriguez looks as good now as I've seen him since that injury He's getting back to something like his very best. He was outstanding in the FA Cup win at Liverpool. His two goals were clinically taken. Salomon Rondon. He doesn't score week in, week out, but when he does score, he scores in bursts. So they've got goals in there. Glenn Murray has found a little bit of form lately for Brighton, and they've got the new boy, um, Jürgen Lacadia from PSV, to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've all got goals in them. Stoke, have they got the goals necessary? You know... A lot like Newcastle, we've got a few that chip in occasionally, but they haven't got a consistent scorer. So maybe they can slide. Southampton, for them, the defence has been fine, but they haven't been able to score goals this season. They spent big on the lad from Monaco, Carrillo. Is he going to do the business? He seems a bit of a gamble. I think this is where you know the teams that are in a relegation battle, are you backing... You're not going to back the guys that you don't know whether they can score. But those that you do think actually they've got goals in them, I think they're the ones that you will see rise between now and the end of the season and get themselves out of danger. One team who has risen, and it brings us nicely forward or back, if you like, to the midweek action, is Bournemouth. What a win they had at Chelsea. That really, if we're talking about teams down at the bottom, that really threw the cat amongst the pigeons. If you're a, a fan or a player or anything connected with any other clubs around there, you would have thought Bournemouth away at Chelsea, that's all right. Don't don't need to worry. They're gonna get they're gonna get beat there, or at least the best they could hope for was a draw. But they absolutely went there, and yeah, they absolutely they turned Chelsea over, and deservedly so. There was nothing about that that was fortunate. It just seemed to all fall into place for them. And conversely, for Chelsea, everything went wrong, and they looked <laughs> they looked perhaps like the side who were struggling, whereas Bournemouth looks comfortable. You gotta feel slightly bad for Olivier Giroud in this situation, haven't you? Sitting on the bench at Swansea the night before, lose three one, makes his farewell, signs for Chelsea in the day, sits on sits just behind the bench and watches mm. them get beat three 0 at home. Well, there you go, Giroud leaving Arsenal to go to Chelsea and they immediately get hammered. Sanchez going to Manchester United and them losing his on his Premier League debut it's like Arsenal's poor form spreading around the league like the Black Plague or something for Chelsea they didn't really get going did they and Antonio Conte on the side looked very I don't know if distracted is the right word but he didn't look fully the Antonio Conte we've come to know while he's been in the Premier League um, it's the first time they've lost by such a margin since that game against Arsenal last season that completely turned their season on its head um, you know 
Spurs getting their win against United, Liverpool winning Chelsea really in a top four battle now. Mm-hmm. But they are, and obviously Conte came out after the game and said, I'm overachieving here. Maybe last year when they won the league, they were overachieving, but surely Roman Abramovich, after everything that he's done over the years, the sacking of managers, fourth place is not overachieving for Chelsea, is it? No, we've seen this story before, haven't we, at Chelsea? I mean, it's been going on for the last 14, 15 years. I mean, since Abramovich took over. It's worked, hasn't it? They've, oh, no, ultimately, know. yeah, it does work. You know, they. Again, you talk about a new manager bounce. Chelsea tend to replace managers on a regular basis, and it does actually lead to success. But yeah, for Conte, um, I'm not optimistic about his prospects at Stamford Bridge between now and. Do you think he'll be there after after the summer? No, no, absolutely not. I think the reports that came out last weekend were that Chelsea was sort of eyeing up Luis Enrique. Obviously, he is a free agent. And he's a sort of he fits the mould, doesn't he? He's, a, he's been a winner elsewhere, and you can see Chelsea going for him. But it doesn't seem right with Conte. And even last year, it didn't really. Despite them winning the league, there was always something that seemed to be going on behind the scenes. Obviously, his family remain in Italy, so I think the next few months will be his last few in London, and Chelsea will be looking for another new manager. Looking at the top four odds, Chelsea are actually three to ten to get into the top four at the moment. Um, United one to nine, Liverpool two to nine, Spurs outsiders at eight to eleven despite beating United, and Arsenal way out at seven to one. Can Arsenal Wenger turn it around again? Um, it's unlikely this season. I mean, just like last year, I think there are enough teams. There are far too many teams who are, for want of a better word, better than Arsenal. So even if they do. Turn it, turn it around with their sort of the yeah, usual spring run where they go on a run succession of games where they pick up points. I don't see them doing enough to catch the teams above them, and I don't see the teams above them dropping enough points for Arsenal to claw that back. I mean, stranger things have happened, but I just don't see it given the amount of quality in those sides above them, despite sort of the inconsistencies that they all have. I think they need to do what United did last season, effectively. I think that's what it's going to come down to. I think you can see them making a little bit of progress in the Europa League now. I think that's their best way into the Champions League next season. Which, ironically, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, not eligible for the Europa League, given Borussia Dortmund are now in there. Indeed. And they might be fortunate this weekend, uh, two of their rivals for the top four. One of them will drop points, if not both of them. Spurs and Liverpool meet at Anfield. Spurs turned Liverpool over at Wembley earlier in the season can Liverpool now do the same to them and you know we've seen Spurs in recent years especially under Pochettino they've got a very good home record against the teams at the top of the league their away record is poor yeah that's true Um, they were excellent against Manchester United on Wednesday night it was a fantastic performance from them Um, but as you say when they go away from home against their big rivals they tend to I don't know if they have the real belief that they can go and dominate the game and really go into an opponent's backyard and say, right, we're taking over now. This is this is ours for the day. Um, I don't know if they have that arrogance. I guess we'll see at Anfield. Um, Liverpool, perfect response from that disappointing defeat to West Brom. They really needed that, didn't they? They, they really did. needed that win over they Huddersfield. And they Tuesday. were very, very good at Huddersfield. Um, he's got Mo Salah scoring. He's got... Roberto Firmino scoring Sadio Mane's not really been at his best this season but he's an outstanding player on his day um, I think the makeup of the midfield continues to be interesting in that 
Uh, Huddersfield, it, he went back to very much tried and tested. Jordan Henderson, James Milner, Emre Chan was a midfield three. I'd be surprised if he goes away from that when they play Spurs. Um, I think Liverpool, they've got the pace on the attack. I think on the day they will just have a little bit too much. But Spurs, they've got Harry Kane up for another name. He gets goals. You can't discount them while he is there and he is fit and he is firing. It's interesting you talk about Spurs' performance in those big games. I mean, Spurs' last defeat was that 4-1 thrashing at Manchester City. But since then, unbeaten in seven, winning five. Uh, they're in good. They're in good. They're in good shape, especially after Wednesday. After beating Manchester United, they'll be going into Anfield. Hope you expect full of confidence. But again, if they they need to get over that hump, that inferiority complex that they have when they go to these games, Liverpool on their on their side of things, they have lost one league game. That game against Swansea last week. It's the only league game they've lost since getting turned over by Spurs. So, you know, you as Alex says, maybe they might just have a little bit too much for them. It's strange with Spurs because remember the game against Real Madrid in the Champions League. Really good away performance. Went there and didn't didn't kind of cow away from the task at hand at all mm. and walked away with a point. So why do we see it when they go to places Went to like, Dortmund as well? Oh yeah, yeah, when they go to places places in the Premier League against the likes of City, we've seen it at Arsenal before from them, we've seen it at United. Traffic, yeah. Why do they seem to, you know, see themselves as second best do we think it's a complex thing because it's been I mean to, to use the phrase Spursy you know they go to, into these big games and they're always nearly men you know, the term bottlers was used last season as well but is it a complex situation now where they're going to these games and it's almost like we need to win this now and it, they're putting too much pressure on themselves and end up losing the game coming away like we said at Manchester City where they got a good hiding it could be but I mean you know Manchester City away who hasn't had it's a good true, hiding there? True. Very few and far between sides that haven't gone there this season and, and come away with a tail between their legs. Speaking of Man City, they're at Burnley on Saturday in the early kickoff. Won't be an easy game. Uh, Burnley have obviously they've had a very impressive season. They've got a decent home record, and you know City now it's a ba- it's a case of when, isn't it? You know when are they going to win the title? But this will be one of their trickier games to come. It will. I think um, I think April seventh is the earliest they can win the title. Conveniently, Manchester United is who they play that day. Yeah, but um, yeah. Burnley, not a lot of teams go to Turf Moor and the games aren't open there. Burnley haven't scored a lot at home. They haven't conceded a lot at home. It will be a tight game. It'll be a test for Man City, but it's one that you fully expect they'll come away from with, with three points. Burnley have, tended to have dropped off somewhat in recent weeks, haven't they? They've um, not been quite at it as they had been in the early part of the season when they were but I think that's just them finding their level though because you don't expect them to be 6th or 7th do you no. so, so if they drop off a little bit and they end up finishing you know 12th, 13th even then it's still a still very good season elsewhere United they're at home to Huddersfield uh, Alex Sanchez debut surely United are going to get back debut. to winning well sorry Old Trafford debut home debut against a Huddersfield side who as we mentioned earlier they really are struggling Surely United will get back to winning ways. You think so? You think yeah. it's a home win, don't you? Yeah, Huddersfield, no wins in seven. I don't see that changing at Old Trafford. I don't see him getting a point. It's a, it's a sort of game that you, you you think United probably are winning 1-0 with 70 minutes to go and then they go through the gears towards the end and they win 2-3 or 4. Yeah. I mean, they need it because obviously there was, the, there was a couple of surprise and strange substitutions at Wembley. Marouane Fellaini, he was on for seven minutes. It was an injury, it wasn't a... 
Jose sort of making an example of another of his players, but he made a bit of an example of Paul Pogba. He was disappointing, but he was by no means the worst player on the pitch. Dragged him off. He's got a bit to improve, hasn't he? Yeah, it was a, it was a strange one because you know it's two nil, and if if you think you can get back in the game, then you leave your best players on. Um, perhaps Jose simply thought he's not doing it tonight to the level I expect. I will make an example of him. Um, or maybe he just thought this game's gone. Let's get him off, protect him. We go again at the weekend. I'm inclined to think the latter as well. I think you know. Sometimes Jose Mourinho knew that the way Spurs were playing and the way Manchester United were playing, it was not going. They weren't going to get back into that game. And yeah, maybe it was just a way of protecting a player that an asset ahead of the games to come. And I think the thing here is he doesn't need to send Paul Pogba a message, does he? And again, like that Paul no. Pogba will have come off that pitch knowing he was second best in that battle with Moussa Dembele. For much of the game, he couldn't get near him. Dembele's an outstanding footballer. He'd get far more credit. Um, were he were he not having to be protected a lot by his manager because he has a long-standing foot problem? Yeah, he's an outstanding footballer. There's no disgrace in coming off second best and Moussa Dembele on 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 any given night. Um, so Pogba, a player who wants to win the Ballon d'Or, who wants to be the best in the world, he'll he'll know full well what's expected of him, and he knows he has to bring a reaction this weekend. So that's all for us for today. Uh, Aaron will be back next week, we expect, unless he's been signed up for the Winter Olympics. Make sure you check out the podcast, make sure you download and give us a rating, and we'll see you again. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.